0: Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. John chapter 2 it got me thinking about the Christmas present thing because, like, I'm not done. In fact, Steph and I have an agreement. She basically just said, look, when it comes to the Christmas presents anymore, just don't do it. Don't hurt yourself. Like, I got this. And now it's evolved to the point where this year, I'm like, okay, Steph, we had the agreement where you were told me exactly what you wanted, and I went and I picked it up. You're not telling me. And she said, well, well, I go, where are we at now? She goes, you know what? How about this? You've already bought this for me for, my, for Christmas. I was like, I, no, I didn't. She, she said, yes, you did. And I've already wrapped it. I'm like, are we at that stage now where you literally pick out your own present and wrap it? Are you going to even tell me what I got you now? Because she loves that. That's what she loves. Because I won't bore you with the details. But we went for like 15 years of me getting her presents. And she'd go, oh, thank you. And she didn't really like it. And she, that's her gift. Her lang- Gift giving is her love language. It's what she loves to do and she loves to receive. So I said, what do you want me to do? And we had this big argument. It just boiled down to this. I feel most loved when you let me get what I want. And I'm like, sounds good to me. You mean I don't have to keep trying to get crave and find? I mean, I was on the internet on Friday night trying to figure out for my, present, my presents for my parents because I, I do that one. And I didn't know. To, I mean, they have everything. What are you going to get the people that already have everything, right? And so I'm Googling best presents to give your parents for Christmas. And there's all these lists out there. And all of them, I was like, this is wasted stuff. And as I'm looking at this idea of buying something for them that they don't need, I'm like, what is this party turned into? Now, I know you think you know where we're going this morning. Oh, I know where he's going. Jesus is the reason for the season. You got to keep him in. This is all about Jesus. It's not about the trees and the lights and the presents. And we're getting all... No, that's not where I'm going. Because it's not true. Um... The reality is, is that I do complain a lot about this season and what the party's gotten out of control. But we are supposed to party. And we need to understand that is what God does. Have you ever paid attention to the fact that Jesus' first miracle was to throw a party? Did you ever realize that in in the field when the shepherds were there and they were told of the Savior's birth that the angels broke out into singing. I don't want to bum you guys out too much. I know you were really excited about the heaven picture of us sitting on a cloud and playing a harp and being really bored. I know you were pumped up on the downtime for eternity, but that's not what's going to happen. Like it is life as it's meant to be is more full than you could ever imagine. It is going to be more colorful. It's going to be more exciting. The music's going to be better. The colors are going to be better. The food's going to be better. The presents are going to be better. Life is going to be at its completion and fulfillment. And when we see this season and you start getting upset and you start thinking, wait, we're getting out of control here. This is about Jesus. You're having too much fun and you know that's not what Jesus is about. Then you don't know Jesus. I, I had a professor, I went to this one seminary, um, and I, the, the the way I got to the point of choosing the seminary was, is a young guy, is was like, well, I don't know anything about the Lord. And my assumption was, you need to go to seminary to learn all this. Not true. Okay, so if you're like, well, I really need to learn more about the Lord, I need to go to seminary. No. That's not how it goes down. I think you've heard us say that enough here. You want to you grow in God. You want to then follow him and walk with other people that are. And as you're following him, you'll know him. And there are so many beautiful people that are living that out in seminary. And there's so many people that are in seminary they are dead. Literally, like there's nothing there. So it has nothing to do with the knowledge about God. It's knowing him as he reveals himself to you as you follow him. And yet, I had this professor... And, and there were all these people that told me, you should go to this seminary, you should go to that seminary. Everybody argues what's the best seminary in the country. Um, but I decided on which one I felt most confident in, and I went to that seminary, and then they have a few professors, professors there that are like the professors, like the, the esteemed ones, the ones that when you try to get in their class, it's like too full, you're on a waiting list, and if you miss one class, they just boot you out because there's so many people waiting to get in. And I got into one of those classes And I'm sitting there under this brilliant man. I'm so excited about what I'm going to learn. Except for the fact, I couldn't understand anything he was saying. He was so smart, he was one of those guys. And I'm a fairly intelligent person. I've got a large vocabulary. I would do well on any of those tests. And and I can throw out some pretty good five-syllable words. This guy lost me. And I remember sitting in the class as he's lecturing the first time, thinking, I'm in big trouble. Because I think maybe I got like 10 to 15% of what he's talking about. I mean, I'm not even talking the word. I'm talking the concepts. And uh, he's an old guy, you know, because they're always the smartest ones. And, and so old school that his right hand would wave around all the time. Like he had chalk in his hands. And there's like no chalkboards. I mean, we've got like digital stuff and the whole deal back back then even when I graduated. And he's just waving his hand like he's used to having chalk in his hand. Yeah, I didn't even know if the other arm worked work because he'd just walk around with this hand in there. And he'd be like, ah, ah, ah. no pin, nothing, just this. And didn't understand the concepts except he said one thing that I want you to hear this morning. One thing that is so helpful as we look at John chapter 2. One thing that is so helpful as we think about this season. And as we complain sometimes and go, this party's just gotten out of control. This is all about Jesus. Stop having fun. He said this. He said that the acts of God interpret the word of God. The acts of God interpret the word of God. And what he meant by that is all these people were in seminary, and and you'd always have these people in the front row, and they would like to lean back in their chairs, and they'd they'd give this impression. Guys, girls, usually guys, unfortunately. I'm a know-it-all. I got this. And anytime we talk about a passage, they want to argue about it and, you know, argue about what does this mean? And then one person leaning back would say this, and the other person would say this. And then, of course, that person's in the back, you know, on the internet, checking out the Monday night football score. But you'd have these people in front arguing about what does this mean, trying to interpret what the word means. And he would just say, listen, if you want to know what it means, instead of arguing about these passages, look at Jesus. Because the acts of God interpret the word of god and as you look at this time of the year and you're like is this okay to do like I, can, is this okay or if we just then let's look at the acts of god let's look at jesus okay so we're here in john chapter 2 verse 1 and let's put it in context we've been going through the book of john talking about the christmas season and especially talking not about the season but about jesus and why did he come we were not going to focus on his birth, but why did he come? What was the, what was the grand scheme for, for God to have his one and only son come? It wasn't just to be born in the manger. There's a bigger picture. What was meant to be accomplished? And as we saw, when Jesus began his public ministry, where people were invited in, he didn't actually invite anybody in. In fact, he was pursued. John the Baptist had... Two of his students, because John was a, a, an unofficial rabbi, but one that people had pursued him knowing he was a man of God. And as they pursued him, he pointed towards Jesus. He said, I know you're following me, but you should be over there. And so they were walking behind Jesus, and Jesus said, what do you want? Asking a question, right? Asking a question where he, he didn't really, he wasn't really asking them a question. He wanted them to think, why are we coming? Why are we, what do we want? What do we really want from Jesus? We're following behind him. What do we want? Because he asks the question, not because he wants the answer, but he wants them to know the answer. And so they're walking behind him, and they say, well, we just want to know where you're staying. Meaning, we want to follow you. Like, we're in. Because he sent us over here, and and we know that something's missing, and so we're following you. And Andrew is one of those disciples. And Jesus said to Andrew and his buddy, hey, come and see. You need to come and learn. Come. And then they stayed uh, late that night, or late in the afternoon. And then Andrew went and grabbed his brother, Simon. Hey, Simon, you've got to come check this out. And so he brings his brother. He says, I think we found the Messiah. I think. And so they bring him to Jesus. Andrew brings his brother, Simon. And Simon's there. And Jesus, the first time he meets him, changes his name. Because that's what God does. Part of the reason he came is to change us. We talk about being born again. What does that mean? It means something like this, giving him a new name, his real name. And so what does he call him? Rocky. Rocky. That's what Peter means. Peter means rock, Rocky. First time the the nickname Rocky ever came. So if you know anybody named Rocky, you can tell them where their name originated. From Peter, Simon Peter. And so that's what Jesus is in the the midst of. So what happens next? What's the next act of God, right? The Messiah is now starting his public ministry. If you're going to be efficient, if you're going to change the world, and he's got his two disciples and a few more jumped in, what are they going to do? Where are you going to go? What mountaintop are you going to go and speak at? What synagogue? Hey, let's go to the capital. Should we go to Rome right now, or should we just start in Jerusalem and then make our way to Rome? Because the Messiah is here. Everything's turned upside down. What big thing are we going to do? And let's see what they do right here. John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Just goes to the wedding. Now, Jesus knows that he's on a time schedule here, right? On a strict schedule. There's only a few years. In fact, he tells his disciples from the beginning, the Son of Man will be killed by the very ones that he's come to save. I will be crucified, and in three days I will rise again. He tells them that from the beginning. So, if it's me, I know how many days are left till Christmas. I don't have that job anymore, but if I had to buy presents... I would think, you know what, I don't have time for a whole lot of other stuff because I'm running out of time. This is his life, and he knows it's coming towards an end already, and yet he has the time to go to a wedding. Why? The acts of God interpret the word of God. Something important is happening here. This is important. You You can think of these disciples. If I'm one of the disciples, this is what I'm thinking. What are we wasting our time here for? These are two nobodies. This is, some, this is Cana. Like, we're from here. We know we live in a podunk town. We're from around here. What are we still doing here? We need to go get busy and do some serious, real stuff. We need to go tell people about their sins. The world needs to be turned upside down. We need to tell Rome, hey, sorry, you've been ruling for a while, but now the kingdom of God is coming. Everything's going to change. But they didn't understand God. They didn't know Him. They thought they knew how things were supposed to be. So... They're watching. What's going to happen? Let's look at the acts of God so that we understand who God is. So, it says here in verse 3, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. For us, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We're like, okay, so they're running out of wine. What's the big deal? Why are we talking to Jesus about this? Remember how we talked about a party, and sometimes we can overdo it? Um, actually, if you have any Hawaiian friends, ask them about their baby's first birthday. All of my Hawaiian friends tell me, whoa, whoa, it's the first birthday. This is a big deal. Like if my parents and grandparents, I mean, it's expected that when we throw this first birthday party for our child, it's, we're going to have to take out a loan. It's going to be that much. And you think I'm joking. I'm serious. Like some of them are like, we have to. There's, a, there's an understanding you have to get to a certain point. The Hebrews, at the time of Jesus, talking about weddings, would laugh. Oh, is that it? Have you seen how we do our weddings? Because for us, for our weddings, it's like, all right, we've got to get the caterer, we've got to get the DJ, then we've got to get the photographer, we've got to save the date, we better have a sweet little website nowadays. Hey, now the new thing is, do you have your Instagram? You have a, better have a good Instagram title, hashtag it, because everybody's going to put it. It's like all this preparation, right? The Hebrews would laugh at you. <laughs> how easy is that? Because they would take an entire year to plan it. Because when the wedding started, it started and then it was a week long. Seven days. You know how sometimes it gets to like 10 o'clock? And some of you old people like me are like, whoa, I got to go. It's 10 o'clock. You young folk are going to keep going. Uh, some of the rest of you are like, wait, is it seven? Is it seven? Woo! Like, I got to go. I know the dinner's about to be served, but I'm out of here. Like, I'm done. Seven days. For those of you who are young, you're like, what? I stayed to the end. Yeah, if you went to a Hebrew wedding, you'd stay there till that night at one when you usually leave. And they're still going. And then the next morning, they're still going. And then at 7 o'clock the next day, p.m., they're still going because they got five days to go. The, any party, any wedding for them worth doing is worth overdoing. That's the kind of wedding. You need to understand that context to understand what's happening here. Because this isn't a normal wedding. My wedding, I'm pretty sure we ran out of food. Eh, you should have come earlier. That's what I thought. We had friends. They, we, we put a bunch of food together. I gave more money than I had. We had friends, like, doing this kind of teriyaki chicken Hawaiian stuff everywhere. It was everywhere. And then by the end, someone was oh, running out of food. I was like, Man, we've been eating for like an hour. I don't know who came late, but, like, tough. That doesn't go down here. You don't do that. This is a Hebrew culture. Hospitality is everything. You will be shamed if it's not a great party. Because this is what your family name is attached to. You're attached to this wedding day. It's not just a wedding day. This is the beginning of your family. Your family will be defined by this party. Doesn't sound right, does it? Talk about trying to please other people and living for the approval of others. Hey, this isn't an American thing. This is a people thing. It's been happening for centuries. And so, when the wine was gone, who notices it? The old lady, right? You want to know who the wisest people are around? Find the older ladies, because they know what's happening. And Jesus' mother, Mary, looks around, and she sees what's going down. She knows the significance. The disciples are there. They don't say anything to Jesus. They're like, hey, I'm not even sure if we're invited, but hey, we're here. Woohoo!" They're, they're not even involved. They don't say anything. But Mary notices. And she says to Jesus, they have no more wine. She says it right to Jesus. Not to anybody else, but to Jesus. Because she knows Jesus. Now his response is this. Woman, why do you involve me? That's how you heard it, though, wasn't it? Is it up there? I didn't even look to see if it's up there. But that's how we hear it, right? Because we translate Well, that's how, that's how it must be, right? Because when a mom talks to her son, she's asking him to do something. That's how he's going to respond. Well, the acts of God interpret the word of God. If we want to understand, how did he say this? What did he mean by this? All we have to do is look at the other ways that he interacts with his mom. He never does anything like this. He never does this with anyone. He's not even sarcastic and really rude to the Pharisees. He tells them what's up, and they might not want to hear it, but he's not. See, when he sees this woman, the translation there, it's not like English or English. Yeah, right. English wouldn't talk that way. It's like the Americans. Like my, my, my wife made it very clear to me. She said, listen, don't ever call me woman. There's hardly anything she's ever told me not to do. That was one thing she told me to do. Luckily, I hadn't done it first, and she gave me the heads up ahead of time. She goes, I remember this one person saying this to this, this wife. Don't do that. Don't ever say, woman? And here's the bummer. Now that she's mentioned it, I would have never said it before, but it's in my head. I'm like, oh, my gosh, because she mentioned it. And I know that if I say that, the moment that comes out, the wedding ring is going to fly off of her finger and she's going to just gun it at me. That's not what this means. In this culture, that word, and we've talked about this before, the, the heritage of that word woman, it's a term of endearment. It's what you say to your mom. Woman, why do you involve me? Does he, does he say, woman, why do you involve me? Have we ever seen Jesus in his interactions? Have we ever seen him complain like people are asking too much? Have we ever seen him be sarcastic? No. And also, when it comes to questions, we've already seen this happen with Andrew, when he said, what do you want? Is he really asking what he want, or is he asking Andrew to figure out what he wants? So when he asks Mary, we've already seen a pattern here. Why do you involve me? he wants her to say it he wants her to know it. but you know what mary knows him really well who's that? who else is at their table the disciples the disciples are students he wants them to learn this is a perfect moment they're probably thinking why are we here at this wedding we're here to change the world you're the son of god right you're the messiah john the baptist said you're the lamb of god why are we at this wedding this is not important but it is it is and we know it because of the act of God, because Jesus is here in this small town at a wedding for two people whose name we never learn. Two people who, from what we know, didn't go and change the world. But they're important, because it doesn't matter what you do. It matters who you are. And Jesus is here, and he asks this question, why do you involve me? He asks the question so the disciples can listen in, so it can be stated. Why, why would you involve Jesus in this? Think about this. You got something going on here. I remember my wedding. We ran out of food. I'm thinking, why are you asking me? It's my wedding. I got stuff going on here. Who cares? Jesus, this isn't even his wedding. Why are we involving Jesus? And he asks, why do you involve me? Because think of the mother's heart. Her heart is bursting because she knows the reputation that's going to be stuck with this young couple for the rest of their life. She knows that that would matter to God. She knows that that would matter to Jesus. And so she brings that up to him. Why do you involve me? She doesn't even wait for his answer. She doesn't even wait for Jesus' response because she knows. She knows him. She knows the acts of God because she knows him since he was born. His mother said to the servants, the people that were working the wedding, almost like the people that were cooking for me, it's the people that were helping out, the people in the community, and says, hey, you know what? Whatever he says, do. Whatever he asks you to do, do it. Something you need to understand about a wedding, too, is that everybody that is there is from the town. Because you know how you wrestle for those of you who've gotten married or you're considering getting married or you're engaged right now? Who am I going to invite? How many people can I bring? You don't have a choice. This young couple in Cana, everybody's coming. It's understood. It's part of the way we do things. When we have a wedding, everybody comes. So it'd be like, Toph, you grew up in that little community? Everybody's coming. You don't have a choice in the matter. They're all coming. You want to go have your wedding in Hawaii? Cool. They're all flying out, and you're flying them. That's how it works. And so this couple had to prepare a year for that reason. The groom, he was building a house. That's his job. He goes to his parents' house and builds a house, a little addition onto that house, and that's where they're going to live. He's got to use that for one year. They're engaged, but in that culture, you're married. You just don't get to live with each other and do all the married stuff, but you're married. You're not going to be with anybody else. Now it's just prepping, and it's prepping for that, that party. Why? Because you've got to throw a party for seven days. It takes a while to save up. So you've got that all built up. The woman and and everybody else is getting ready, and they're doing this party. And then when the wedding day happens, she walks through the town. So imagine that you grow up in uh, uh, a gated community. Let's say you grow up in Cypress Cove. You're down in San Clemente. You're in Cypress Cove. Okay? She is going to leave her house, the little town of Cypress Cove. (laughs) She's going to leave her house, and she's going to walk down the streets. And everybody's waiting. You know that, that parable where you talk about the people with their torches waiting? That's them. They're all waiting. And when you walk by, the, the, the bride walks by, everybody just comes out of their house. And they start walking behind her. And she takes the longest way possible. Why? Because this is the one time she's getting married. And let's not be in a hurry. So she walks down every street. And as she's walking, everybody comes out. And then they walk all the way to the doorstep of the house of where the groom has been building and they come to the doorstep, and they come right there on the porch, and then the rabbi comes out, and they're standing there, and everybody else is outside with their torches or whatever at night, and the party's about to begin. Because this is the moment where it's going to go for seven days. And so they're sitting there. And so who's running the party? Well, people live in the hood. People, people that are there. Hey, you got you got the sound right. Okay, Yeah, you got the food? All right, you're going to run around and pick up the trash so it doesn't overflow. Everybody's chipping in. And so when Jesus is told... By his mom, hey, look, this is what's going on. And then she says to the servants, who's she talking to? People in the neighborhood. And they know that Mary has told them what to do. When the old ladies tell you what to do, you don't ever argue with the old ladies. That's an understood rule. In my marriage, you don't say the word woman. And in this culture, if an older lady asks you to do something, you do it. You don't say, I don't want you don't even argue. I don't even know why we know that. We just know that. Maybe it's because when we were little kids, they'd pick us up by our ears. This lady grew up there. They knew who she was. And so she says, do whatever he tells you. So what do they do? What is Jesus going to tell them to do? What is the act of God here? This is what he does. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So they were these cement, clayish, Huge pots, they were this tall and and yeah yeah, this tall, and they were about that wide, and then they were filled with water, and then there 'd be this like ladle in there, and so um, the Hebrew people were addicted to washing their hands, this idea of cleanliness, not because oh we 're about to eat, let 's clean up. it had to do for religious reasons, um, when you would present yourself before God, you would be clean, baptism, think about that baptism. That's where that comes from, that idea of being clean. That's where that tradition has come from, that idea of cleaning yourself before you come to God. And so at a wedding, which is a sacrament of God, this couple's getting married. Well, you need, if you're going to be here in this holy time, this party, which is this holy time, then you better be clean before God. So you had to have these huge 180 gallons total of water because people for seven days have to clean themselves. Because they're dealing with guilt or whatever, and I clean myself before God. Not really a new concept, is it? Think about it. How many of you think that you need to get clean before God all the time? Some of you this morning, well, how can I go to church? We just got an argument. It's a standard, right? Or I stayed up late Saturday night. Can I even go into the presence of God? Because I think at that party I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Actually, let me rephrase that. You're not saying, I think. You just know. Like, we know when we're doing things we shouldn't do. So then we think, well, i got to get clean before God because that's what we do. I want you to see the symbolism of what's happening here because the acts of God interpret the Word of God. Jesus, at a party, it's running out. What's important? He should be at the synagogues. He should be out in Rome. He should be down in Jerusalem. But he's at this wedding. And then he sees what's going to happen to the reputation of this family. And so he's going to create wine. He could have done it anyway, but instead he chooses these six jars. Why would he choose those jars? The symbolism of that should not be lost on us. He takes those and instead turns it into wine. What are they going to wash their hands with anymore? How are they going to get clean before God? It's all wine now. Anybody here ever wash their hand with wine? It doesn't work. You still feel dirty. Don't let that symbolism leave. The acts of God interpret the word of God. Now, if you think I'm going to go in the direction now of arguing whether alcohol is okay or not, we're not going to waste our time. He turned water into wine. That's all you need to know. Okay? Does that mean that it's okay to get drunk? No, because he's also taught on that as well. So it's this balance. But I know, but why don't you just tell me what to do That's how we want it. Nice and clean. Nice and clean and easy. And that way, I know when I cross the line. And the problem is, we always cross the line. It's not that easy. And so here he is, it's water into wine. And the master of the banquet, verse 9, taste of the water that had been turned into wine. This master of the banquet, it's the MC. I don't know if you had an MC for your wedding, but if you did, this is who they'd be. Usually it's your DJ. They're the one that's supposed to talk all the time, right? Here we go. This is like the DJ. Except the DJ in this culture has a lot more responsibility. They're even in charge of the wine. And the, they're in charge of everything. It's like a wedding coordinator, the DJ, the sommelier, the caterers, they're in charge of everything. They oversee everything. And so the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. Why? I, I don't know. But I know he didn't announce it to everybody. Wouldn't that be a great moment for him to stand up and go, Hey, everybody at a wedding, you know how we do. You bring out the good stuff for the first day and then all the two-buck chuck for the rest of the week. We know how we roll, but not this guy. No, not them, but he doesn't. Why not? I don't know, but he pulls him to the side. He says, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Do you think that secret's going to be kept? No. They're all going to talk about this young couple. Remember them? The roses? You remember that that wedding? Oh my gosh! The wine? Like, I've never heard of anybody doing that. And the wine. Okay, I used to think wine was like just to dry your mouth out or to ruin your sinuses. Because that's what it does for me. I didn't understand this whole concept of wine. Until one time when we were at a wedding and a friend of ours was really into wine and he pulled out this bottle specially from this one restaurant and he poured it he said, Here. Try that. And I'm like, oh gosh, he's looking at me. So you have to drink it because they're looking at you, right? And I drank, I was like, oh my. That's what everybody's so into. I get it. Barbera de Alba. Boom. Get it. It's amazing. And so he, he I, I drank it. What would it be like to have the wine that God made? What is that like? The acts of God interpret the word of God. All the things he could be doing, and what he does is he starts a little bit of heaven right here, right now. He tells his disciples on the night that he was betrayed as they're having the Passover meal, he says, this is the bread which is is broken for you, and this is the wine which is shed for you. I won't be able to share this meal with you again until heaven. That wine, they got to have heaven wine then. That's why the MC's is freaking out. That's why he's just he can't believe it. So what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Why did he do this? Right? We're talking about the reason that Jesus came. We're not going to sit here and focus on that birth morning. We're not going to talk about that moment as much as the overall reason for why did Jesus come. It says here, this was the first of the signs. That word sign means Simeon, or that's where we get the word miracle from. So when you see in the New Testament where you see miracle, that's Simeon. When you see sign, that's Simeon. It's the same word. So it's a sign or a miracle. A miracle is a sign. What is a sign? When you see the in and out sign, what is the purpose of that? Does anyone go and go, oh, look at that sign, and hang out underneath the sign? No way. It doesn't make any sense, right? The the sign is pointing you somewhere else, to end up somewhere else. When I see that sign, I'm counting down the exits, and if it gives me the miles, I hit my odometer. Because I want to know where I'm getting my double-double, and I want it now. This is a sign. John says this was the first of the signs. His first sign, his first miracle was to turn water into wine. So why? Because this young couple mattered. Signs point you to the heart of God. When you look at this season and you think, you know what? I think we've gotten a little out of control. You know what? You're right. However, this is what we're supposed to be doing. The reason you can't sing is because you're tired. Because you've been preparing for a huge party. Good. When you're up at night going, I shouldn't be buying these presents. This is ridiculous. No, you should. You should. This is a time to celebrate. If there's any time to celebrate, this is the time. Nobody had to tell them. Jesus didn't say, now I'm going to rise. This was broken for me. This was shed for me. So make sure that you, when you throw the party, you go big. He didn't have to tell them. That joy just makes you want to do something. When your child turns one, you just want to have a party. You want to celebrate. Nobody has to tell you to do it. And of course, as we always do, we just kind of take it a little too far. We go a little too long, and we spend a little too much. But don't focus on that part of it. Focus on the fact that that's what God would do. You were created in his image. And the first sign that he did, the first public miracle, the first sign that he put up to point them towards the kingdom of God was to turn water into wine at a wedding. To change the course of this young couple to being like, oh, you remember the roses? You remember when at the... Do you remember that? The rehearsal dinner when they came out with the Costco hamburgers? Do you remember that? And his dad was down there in Hibachi and he was doing that for the rehearsal dinner? Yeah, that's what people are saying about us. Because that's what happened at my wedding. But for this couple, for this couple, do you remember the roses? Do you remember the first day when they brought that really good wine? And then we thought we were going to go, you know, do the... And then they brought in that, I've never tasted wine like that since. Can you believe that? Yeah, the roses roses. Do you realize that you're that valuable to God? This is a sign to point out how insignificant you think you are. He would do this for you. Their names are never mentioned. That's significant. To show you that they are significant. Jesus, the acts of God are filled with examples of God just pouring out His grace on us for no reason at all. When the son comes back, the prodigal son comes back home. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. What happens when that son comes home? Party. Not only a party, but the biggest party. So big of a party that the older brother is bitter. This is too big of a party. He did something wrong. Do you know that Jesus did not just come for you to be saved of your sins? He did come so that we'd be saved of our sins, but that's not it. When we quote scripture and we say from John 10, 10, when Jesus said, I am the, well, actually says this somewhere else in, in later on in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? We immediately go, well, it must be that I'm, I'm no longer bad and now I'm good. Life. John 10.10, I have come so that you can have life and have it to the full. What does that look like? It's a party. He doesn't make his first act a party on accident. Well, I was actually on my way to Jerusalem, but on the way there was a party. My mom made me go. No, nothing by accident. It's to inform us that this is what the kingdom of God is like. God, you are created in the image of God. And that's why when you see something great happen, you want to dance or you want to celebrate. Last night, when I was watching the Charger game, and I was sitting there at my son's baseball game, and I looked at my phone, I go, Great, we're getting smoked 28 7. Awesome. This is a football game, right? All the women are like, This is not important. I'm a guy, I know it's not important, but I'm into it. And I'm seeing this thing, and I'm like, Oh, great, we're out of the playoffs for sure now. So I'm watching the rest of the baseball game, we lose that game too. And then I'm driving home, and I look again. It's still bad. So right before the kids are going down, I I pop open the computer. I look, and I'm like, we're tied? What? And then I'm watching the game, and sure enough, we do what we do. Defense steps up. Offense steps in. Our kicker kicks a field goal. Boom. And what do I do? Ooh, I stand up. Why? Because it's in me. Because it's in me to celebrate. Who put that in me? Who put that in me to celebrate on something that insignificant? God, because I was created in his image. You were created in his image. During this season, as we celebrate and we soak this up, do not apologize for celebrating. And don't rain on anyone else's parade for celebrating. We do this because we were created in the image of God. But I want to close with this. In this period of time that you have, make sure that you remember why we're throwing this party. I was at a wedding, and um, the groom was about to walk down, and his mom showed up. She hadn't shown up the night before to the rehearsal dinner, and she just wasn't around. Um, That's just how it is. And so he's about to walk down. I mean, it's about to start, right? Like, you know, and the guys are supposed to walk in. And so the guys were already down there, and the groom was supposed to walk down. Kind of a weird deal where the guy walks by himself. But that's what I did, because I'm the guy, and I'm walking. And right before I'm about to walk down, my mom says, where's my flower? And I'm thinking, where have you been? Like, where have you been? And right now, all that matters to her at this moment is that flower. Now, in hindsight, I look back, she just didn't know what she was doing. She's just, she was dealing with all this guilt and the shame and frustration. And, and my mom carries so much guilt and, and stuff on top of her. She didn't really care about the flower. She just felt bad. And she didn't know how to react. And so she reacted and she didn't mean it. She just doesn't know what she's doing. And then during the reception, she came up. She said, well, obviously you don't want me here. I didn't even have a seat for me or this or that. And so I'm out of here. And I'm a young, you know, guy and i'm 25 years old i'm not sure what's happening and i'm just kind of confused i'm trying to make her happy and then it just the reason i share that with you is not for you to feel sad for me because it's not things are good but it's very easy when we're dealing with our own stuff for us to forget what the party's about when i go to weddings now i, I pull the groom together i pull the The groom's men. I pull the bride together, I pull the bridesmaid, I pull all the family together. Because I know that there's a huge party. When a huge party happens, we can all get distracted. And sure enough, this party's going on. And I I say, look, guys, I want you to hear something. This party right now is all about these two. And I know that some of you guys are not listening to me. And you're looking over at these beautiful bridesmaids. And you're wondering which ones are single. Because you came and you're thinking about that. And I know parents, some of you are dealing with, well, what am I going to do about the flowers? And oh my gosh, the cater and the DJ. He's not even here yet. And the taco guy, like, what am I going to do? And I know you're dealing with that stress. And I know some of the family members are like, well, when my brother gets here, they better apologize for what they did last Thanksgiving because we got something we got to deal with. And that hasn't been brought up on the table. And I'm not going to talk to him until he does. And then Uncle Freddie's really bitter about Cousin Sally because, you know, that thing that happened, because that's what happens at weddings. Everybody gets caught up in the party. And some people are like, what? when's the food? I'm really hungry. I need to eat. We get caught up in all that stuff and forget. Wait, it's about these two people. And so I pull everybody together and I say, you know what? There's one time I got married and don't let that happen. This is about this couple. Make sure that they know that this entire moment, this entire evening is all about them. You look and see how you can support them and care for them and help in this time because it's about them. And during this season, you party. You have a God-given example from Jesus himself that you need to celebrate. Because this is an exciting time. A great joy of a Savior has been born. But also, make sure that you remember to keep him in the center. And please realize that when we keep Jesus as the reason for the season, that doesn't mean we get boring. That doesn't mean the fun has to disappear. He created fun. The acts of God interpret the word of God. Live this time up. Just make sure he stays in the center. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion now. And we're going to take it from the back. So Steve and Joan, if you guys can get it ready. And what we're going to do is, is uh, we chose to do communion today because Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. Now when he said to do this in remembrance of him, is it because he wants us to not forget him? Think about that. Remember Jesus, the acts of God interpret the word of God. He doesn't need us to remember him for his sake. When we do this in remembrance of him, we do this in remembrance of why he did this for us. During this time, my hope is for you that you would be able to really marinate in the fact that God loves you so much that he let his body be broken for you. His blood be shed for you so that you could have life and life to the full. You are forgiven of your sins when you have faith in Christ. But that's not where it stops. He wants you to be able to go to these parties and be able to be set free and all that guilt and all that stuff that's weighing you down and makes you angry or frustrated or sad, He wants you to be set free from that. And being forgiven of your sins is part of the process in that. But there's also this other stuff that He wants to do in your life. He came so that you can have life, and life to the full. And if you want to know what that means, if you want to interpret that word, then watch the acts of God. Watch Him. There's a song we're going to sing later, and just see all the things that Jesus does in this song, bringing life and celebration. So since it's celebration time, we can't be sitting down, can we? Let's stand up. I'm going to pray for us. Father, as I think of even us trying to do this in remembrance of Jesus, it's too much for us to to contain, to hold. It's, it's too much. The light is too bright. But Lord, we do. The best that we know how, we do this in remembrance of you, how much you loved us. And that love that we don't feel worthy of, we feel like we've got to clean ourselves up, and yet you embrace us. Embrace us when we're not clean. Because you make us clean. We pray this in the name of Jesus.